Welcome to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. This program is designed to inspire you to stand on the Word of God and to help you build unshakable and unstoppable faith in Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Dr. Kazumba. Shalom and welcome to Unstoppable Faith. Thank you so very much for joining us once again this week, wherever you may be watching. On today's program, I have a special guest, author of Unfettered, Imagine a Childlike Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. That's what we'll be talking about. I'm going to be joined by Pastor Mandy Smith all the way. She's all the way in Australia. So there it is like 3 a.m. We're going to get started right now. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with uh, Pastor Mandy Smith. We think that our job is to tell people answers. If we understand that God is a system or a doctrine, then of course it's our job to hand people a tract or a, or a doctrinal statement. But if instead it's our job to help people see what it looks like to follow God, then we need to let ourselves be seen in process. When I talk about vulnerability, I'm not just talking about saying things that are hard to reveal about ourselves, but the whole experience of being vulnerable, not just feeling vulnerable, about the human experience of living in skin and getting old and forgetting things and not always having answers and getting tired, just the whole limitation of humanity. Uh, if we have to confess to our limitations as pastors, then we just don't want to go there. As human beings, there's this trying to keep up a strong appearance, trying to always look on top of things, and people are following us, and you want to give them something to follow. And that's what a lot of my wrestling was over. Um, are people following me or are people watching how I follow someone else? And so that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges. And so uh, if we can figure that out, somehow we become a little more comfortable with showing behind the scenes of what it looks like to follow God, as opposed to being the strong one that people are putting all their hope in. Pastor Mandy, welcome to Unstoppable Faith. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. I know it's too early uh, there in Australia, but we say thank you so very much for joining us here in Canada on Unstoppable Faith, and uh, we look forward to what you have to share. Oh, well, I'm happy to be with you. It's great. I was going through your book last night, and I love it. I, I totally love it. Imagining a childlike faith beyond the baggage of uh, Western culture. This is a, a very big topic. So I'm going to start with this question here. In your book, Unfettered, you write that Western culture is in a tailspin and Christian faith is entangled in it. We do kingdom things in empire ways. Western approaches to faith leaves us feeling depressed, doubting, anxious, and burnt out. We know something is wrong with the way we do faith and church in the West, but we are so steeped in it that we don't know where to begin to break the old habits. 
This is a very interesting and a very powerful observation that is in your book here. Could you please uh, talk to us about this? Yes, absolutely. So I am in a lot of conversations with Christian friends in, in the West, whether it's in Europe or, um, or North America or in Australia or New Zealand or wherever, uh, talking about all of the challenges of Western Christianity. And I think that we often talk about it as if it's outside of us. Uh, but I think it's also important for us to think about just some postures that we have taken on from Western Christianity, no, sorry, from Western culture, which are not actually a part of the Christian way of doing things. And so it's good for us to almost do a kind of detox of our own cultural baggage that we're bringing into Christian faith. And so there are two main things that I point out in the beginning of the book. Uh, this I do, therefore I am kind of instinct, which has been talked about for a long time. You know, Descartes talking about this several hundred years ago. And it's a way of defining ourselves primarily as thinking beings. And so it sets aside emotion, it sets aside our embodied experience. And it means that we're often exhausted, uh, dry and doubting and uh, quite anxious and, and depressed. And then this second instinct that we have that's a Western instinct but not a Christian instinct is I, um, I do, therefore I am. Did I just say I do, therefore I am? I meant I think, therefore I am. The second one is I do, therefore I am. And uh, by this I, I mean just we're children of the Industrial Revolution. We are defined often by our job titles and our productivity and or maybe we're defined by the fact that we don't have a great job in this culture of of this kind of identity and so this also is not the Christian message and um, so it also leaves us in a state of of being anxious being feeling like it's all up to us like the world is on our shoulders and uh, so what I propose in the book is that Jesus invitation to the kingdom through childlikeness actually messes with both of those habits both of those Western postures because when we were children we didn't only define ourselves by our thinking and intellect, although that's totally a part of who we are. We don't want to get rid of that. That's a part of how God made us. Uh, but as children, we saw ourselves as whole beings. We were uh, aware of our instincts and our emotions and our bodily experiences and our relationships and our engagement with nature, as well as our ideas and thoughts. And also we, uh, in response to this second thing about I do, therefore I am, as children, we were able to engage as participants in something that was already happening. We didn't expect that we were ruling the world or that it was all up to us or, or that things didn't begin unless we initiated them. We engaged in something trusting that they were already kind of humming and it was just our job to join in. And so uh, I came across this kind of by accident uh, by just feeling an invitation into more childlikeness and that felt like um, something that was kind of sweet and whimsical and harmless, but it actually just totally changed my life, my faith and my ministry. And uh, I realized that, you know, Jesus specifically says you can't enter the kingdom unless you become like a child. It's really simple the way he makes that clear. And yet I personally, although I've been in the church my whole life, have never really heard a serious exploration of that. I found in all of my research, I was asking all kinds of people who know a lot more than I do about books or resources uh, that discuss a theology of childlikeness. 
And I came across one that I could uh, find among all those conversations uh, by Hans Urs von Balthasar, who does a beautiful exploration of uh, a theology of childlikeness. Why on earth does Jesus say we can't enter the, to the kingdom unless we become like children? And so I decided, well, I wanted to explore this um, since I wasn't finding much help when I was looking for it out there in the world. And uh, I think oftentimes we, it reveals how little we regard children, how much we dismiss them and how much we think they're just kind of annoying or uncontrolled or just cute. Um, and I think we often summarize this invitation into childlikeness simply as whimsy and wonder. And it's certainly those things. But I believe it's so much more than those things. Uh, children, when we were children, we were courageous. When we were children, we were honest. When we were children, we were just really present and engaged and aware of what was going on in, uh, in us and around us. We were really available. And um, so there are so many ways in which that reminds me of the kind of people that, that Jesus wants us to be, even though we're in grown-up bodies now. And it's surprisingly scary and challenging. It's taken me a lot of courage to say yes to this in a world that doesn't really uh, regard those things. And um, at the same time, it's it's really transformed my life. And so I couldn't keep it to myself. And so that's where the book came from. That is a, that is a really powerful and powerful explanation. Uh, now, let's go to this question here. You also write on uh, topics such as uh, rest, uh, receive, and respond. Let's begin with rest. Can you talk to that uh, with us? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. So I, I compare the world's habit or the world's yoke in comparison to Jesus' yoke. The world's yoke says respond, respond, respond. Question, respond. Problem, respond. Jesus' yoke says, rest, receive from me, and then respond. So we still have a response. So the rest part came for me when I was on sabbatical. This whole story begins on a sabbatical. And um, so I had eight weeks, really nothing to do. And I asked the Lord, what am I supposed to do with this time? My kids and my husband are still doing their thing and uh, at school and work. And I really felt the Lord invite me to just be like a child for those eight weeks and listen to my instincts and uh, wear what I like and eat what I like and sleep when I want and trust, not just for the sake of hedonism, but to trust that in that God was delighted in me even though I wasn't accomplishing anything and uh, I could just be present and aware. And in the beginning, that sounded too good to be true. Uh, but I have to be honest with you, it was surprisingly difficult and surprisingly scary. So uh, I remember one of the earliest moments of this. Uh, I, I just felt a prompt to lie down in the grass. I was in a beautiful place and it was the first warm day of the spring. And I just felt like the grass was saying, come lie on me. Yeah. And it was amazing how much hesitation I had. I was worried about what people would think of me if they saw me. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a lead pastor. Will people think I'm ridiculous? Will I lose my sense of respect from them? And I also thought, well, I was also dis worried about being disappointed. What if I lie down in the grass and I hope somehow it's a meaningful experience and it's just kind of dumb, <laughs> you know? And I, I realized, you know, there are these real uh, kind of what I call adultish reservations that keep us from just saying yes to what the spirit is doing in our uh, emotions and in our instincts in, in nature. And so 
um, I took off my shoes and I lay down in the grass and uh, it wasn't an amazing mountaintop moment in the sense of God revealed something powerful to me, but it was of all the probably of all the times in my sabbatical, it was one of the moments that um, I just knew the Lord's presence and I can't explain it. Um, I just lay on that hilltop and I looked up at the sky and I said to the Lord, when I, when you made this hill, did you know I was going to lie here? Did you think of me when you made that cloud? And we were just together and it had been a long time since we were just together for the sake of it because I'd been seeing God's presence as just an opportunity to get a bunch of answers and solve a bunch of problems. And, um, and so if it was, even though it was just on a hilltop and not a mountaintop, if it was some kind of a mountaintop experience, it was these little instincts, these little voices in me that I had to listen to to lead me there. And uh, I was surprised how much in that eight-week sabbatical uh, there were real serious hesitations. And I, I call it adultishness because we don't have the same distinction for adult as we do for child. So we have childlike and childish. Mm -hmm. That's a really helpful distinction. We don't have the same distinction between adult-like and adultish. And I, so I had to create that language because there are really good ways to be adult. And there are really unhealthy ways to be adult. And I had to, I had to kind of set aside adultishness, which I define as a fear of powerlessness, a desire to be in control of our fate, our uh, productivity, our, uh, how other people see us, um, is that what I call adultishness. And uh, if we set aside that adultishness, then we can step into the rest of childlikeness uh, that is not afraid of powerlessness, that knows that it's not powerful and is not ashamed of that. And something really beautiful is possible there. Um, but I will say, you know, I could, I could imagine folks might be hearing me and saying, but I don't get eight weeks off to go on sabbatical and explore this. And, uh, and so I will say rest is not just, it totally includes Sabbath keeping in those days off in those times that are really beautiful like that. At the same time, when Jesus invites us to rest and take on his yoke, it's not just go on vacation. It's to those moments of just stopping for a split second and, and resting in him again, of abiding in the vine, of, of saying once more, oh, that's right, I'm not the Lord of the universe. Yeah. Uh, and you may have been in meetings like that even in the middle of really contentious or stressful meetings or decision-making or problem-solving um, when someone has just said, can we, can we just pray for a moment? That's rest too, to yeah. rest back in the Lord, to take on the Lord's yoke again and to set aside our own adultishness and to trust someone else is carrying this, someone else is carrying us, and we can engage as courageous children, unafraid of the ways that we're powerless and uh, willing to receive God's power. Here is uh, my follow-up question. Uh, what gets in the way of uh, rest? Mm. Well, uh, as I mentioned, I was starting to notice some, some serious hesitations that were wanting me to be in control of outcomes, in control of people's opinions of me. And, uh, and that actually brought me to a place of having to, to really deal with some false self stuff. So Thomas Merton and other Christian writers talk about true self and false self. And I think it's really helpful language because we are called to die to ourselves. 
But God is not calling us to die to who he's made us to be, to the personality he's given us or this human nature he's given us. He's calling us to die to our false self so that our true self can live. And it might feel like he's asking us to die to something that's really central to who we are just because of how we've come to be used to being that way. But he's asking us to release things, our own control, especially in order to receive who we truly are as his children. And so I was really surprised how listening to those prompts uh, really invited me to die to my desperate efforts to control, especially for me, I'm a people pleaser. So to control people's opinions of me, because following that childlike prompt, that instinct in you, um, oftentimes people won't get it. <laughs> and uh, they'll look at you in a strange way, whether just because you're delighting in something that makes no sense to them, or you're doing something that isn't sensible or can't be explained. And that was one of the hardest parts for me was that um, I couldn't even explain it myself. It wasn't like I had the plan. I was, I was, I was saying yes to instincts in me um, to just engage with creation or to uh, pay attention to what was happening around me or in me emotionally or in my body or in my thoughts and ideas. And um, so there were times that other people around me uh, were like, I don't get it. Explain it to me. And uh, when you're just listening to something that uh, didn't come as a complete sentence or with full instructions, as oftentimes the prompting of the spirit comes, it's often kind of vague. Um, you, I couldn't understand it myself or explain it to myself, much less to anybody else. And uh, that was really scary for me as a people pleaser and as someone who is a perfectionist and who likes to be in control. Uh, it was very scary. So there are real hesitations um, that come up when we when we choose to pay attention to the invitation to engage with nature, the invitation to in to listen to our instincts, to our emotions, to our bodies and respond to those things. Um, that invitation to childlikeness took me to some surprisingly scary places. And so uh, there, are, there are real things that get in the way of that invitation to rest. Now, let's go to the other point because you share about those three, rest, respond, and then we're gonna get to receive. Uh, can you touch also on uh, respond? Yes. Oh, so receive is the last one. Did you want me to jump straight to, I mean, sorry, receive is the second one. Receive, no, no, no. Receive is the second one. That's true. Yeah. Let's go to receive, sorry. Let's go to receive oh, okay. and I will kind yeah. of respond because they are Just raised, receive, receive and respond. respond. So let's yes. start with uh, receive now. Yes. So um, from that resting, I just started finding myself receiving insights or prompts to, to act. And um, so I came to see that when we rest from our own control, when we set aside the world's yoke, then we are available to something that is, is just at work in the world. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is able to just tap us into the source of all creativity, of all ideas, of all energy and and of all hope and imagination, and um, and so there's a kind of emptying that I that I realized was happening, and this is a scriptural concept, but at the same time, 
I think in Western Christianity, we're not often encouraged to empty. We're often encouraged to say, give me spirit, you know, fill me spirit, which is beautiful. But at the same time, if there's something in there that is getting in the way of the spirit's work, we're invited to empty of it. And so the resting is actually a way to release our control, to release our anxious efforts and uh, to get rid of just the junk, <laughs> the yes. ways that, that the spirit is cluttered. And so I came to believe that spirit, the, the scripture doesn't say that the spirit's presence comes and goes. Scripture says we have been given this as a seal of our inheritance. We already have the, the promise of God's presence in us if we receive him. And what I think happens is we are so used to controlling things that we just put a bunch of other junk in, in there that clutters up the spirit's capacity. And so once we start confessing that and releasing that and you know purging and pr pruning and purifying, all the Ps are all scriptural concepts, all which involve uh, uh, getting rid of something that's getting in the way. So when we rest, it means that we... Um, uh, releasing our own control and getting rid of some of those habits that um, get in the way of the spirit that's already in us is already powerful we don't feel the power of it because we're too busy being powerful in our own strength and so when we step into that childlikeness that is unafraid of the ways that we are as ordinary humans small and, and limited in our power then there is there is a power available to us and so I found that every time I rested there was something available and it wasn't always the thing I was wanting. It wasn't necessarily the answer to the question that I was asking right away. But sometimes it was just a new way of seeing the situation or a new way of seeing myself. Sometimes it was a prompt, write an email to this person or call that person or give away this thing or um, step into this kind of obedience. And so I came to see that uh, in, in resting from our own power, we are we are tapping back into that vine. It reminds me of that abiding in the vine passage. And, and so I almost imagine that sap is able to just course through our veins, you know, that we are just connected to the source of all life, the source of all flourishing. And while we have to set aside our agendas of what we hope to receive from it, I believe that we always receive something when we uh, remember to abide back in that vine again. And fruit is possible then from yes. that place if we're willing to be obedient to that invitation uh, to receive. Fruit is uh, possible when we abide in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. That's a very powerful uh, point. Now, let's go to respond because uh, you follow up with uh, respond. Can you share with us? Uh, no, before I go there, actually, I want to do a follow-up question because uh, people are like, okay, I want to receive, but you've written in your book uh, uh, about things that, uh, you know, stands or makes us not receive. So here's my question to you. What doesn't get in the way of receiving? Right. So in the book, you know, in between these rest, receive, respond chapters, I, I often talk about the ways that things get in the way of rest if we can't get away, if we can't set aside our power. And there are also things that get in the way of responding. Uh, but I've, I've put this chapter that says what doesn't get in the way of, of receiving um, just to kind of balance it out. But it's a very brief chapter because I, I've found that when we rest well, not to make it a performance thing because that's not the point and that's the opposite of the point, 
But when we do rest well, and just, just, just so you know, this is a constant wrestling. This is a constant emptying. It's not like you're, it's a once and done kind of a thing. Every single morning I wake up with those habits of, of Western culture again that just make me want to jump in and, and run the world again. So every morning I walk and I empty and I say to the Lord, here's what I'm anxious about. Here's how I'm trying to control my kids. Here's how I'm trying to control my ministry. Here's how I'm kind of trying to control the world. And that emptying always allows us to receive. Uh, and like I said, we have to set aside our agendas too of what we're, yes. what we're going to receive. But uh, every time I do that, I come home with, uh, from that walk with uh, just a new perspective or a, a release of my anxiety. Or a, oftentimes, though, there is a prompt. Oftentimes, there is uh, an invitation to connect with someone or to preach this sermon or to write this article. Um, and interestingly enough, and, and I hesitate to say this because I don't want uh, folks to do this for the wrong reasons, yes. but after beginning this habit, after eight weeks of this on my sabbatical of really practicing it, when I was getting ready to go back into work, I suddenly just had ideas for articles. So I, I love writing and I've always enjoyed writing blog posts and articles for various publications in addition to books. But something was available to me that I had, I just had whole articles come to me that I, I suddenly wrote. In the next year, I wrote over 100 uh, Christian articles, not because I set that goal, not because I was striving in my own strength, but because when I was walking or praying or actually probably trying to write a sermon or trying to do something else to check off my list, suddenly there was an article that I just was burning in me that I, I needed to write. And those articles actually then often, some of them became a part of the preparation of this book. Um, and so there was fruitfulness. There was real productivity that came from that, but not, not for the sake of productivity, not for the sake of um, proving myself or showing that I was productive, but there was just ideas available to me and creativity. And I knew it wasn't just my ideas and creativity. But I don't say that to say, okay, follow this formula in order to have more fruit or more articles or more whatever you want to have. It was only in releasing, because I wasn't even wanting to be writing more articles. That was what the Lord decided. Um, I would have said, I don't have time to write 100, 100 articles in the next year. I'm trying to lead a church and, and raise my family here, you know. So, um, so, yeah. So I just found that there were things that just weren't in the way anymore when I was willing to, do the very serious hard work of of uh, stepping into childlikeness and wrestling with my adultishness. Wow. Now, what keeps us from responding? Right. So, so when we have when we step into that rest and we receive something from that rest, be it a, a prompt to act or a prompt to pray or a prompt to give or connect with somebody. Um, then there is a different kind of hesitation that comes in. And, and here is where I compare childishness with adult-likeness. So here in this invitation to respond is an invitation to own our agency, to own what, what power we do have, even though it might be limited. We do have voices. We do have gifts. We do have resources. And God invites us to use those. And uh, then there's this childishness that comes in and says, oh, who am I? I have nothing to give. I'm only small. And we see this in all of the prophets throughout Scripture, or many of them. Uh, you know, Jeremiah says, I'm only a child. Don't ask me to be your prophet. And God 
God turns it back on himself, doesn't respond to Jeremiah's desire for compliments, but, but responds with, I am the Lord. I have called you. I will send you. I will give you the words to speak. And so this is scary in a very different way than the invitation into childlikeness because adult-likeness means taking risks and stepping out and speaking and acting in ways that you don't even fully understand yourself and may smack you in the face. And uh, so I think this was a really helpful balance because I think my, myself and everyone I see in, in the church, oftentimes we're wrestling with these two extremes of it's all up to me or it's all up to God. And so we, you know, when we step into faith, we say, well, God is running the universe, so it must be all up to God. And so then that leads to a kind of passivity. But then we think, okay, but God's inviting us to do something and join the mission. Um, and so then it must be all up to me. And so we just <laughs> flip back and forth from these two extremes. And neither of them actually requires any engagement with God. Either he's doing everything or we're doing everything. But this kind of engagement of, of childlike adult-likeness, of, of being unafraid of how we're powerless and being unafraid of how we're powerful, which in short is being unafraid. <laughs> um, this invites us into partnership with God, trusting that he actually is the one who is at work in the world. He is on adventure, on mission, making all things new, even though we don't always see it. And he invites us, and this is beautiful, he's, he's not wanting to do it all by himself. He invites us to partner with him in that adventure so that we get to be on the front lines of the mission with him. And when it gets hard, it's not because he sent us out by ourselves to do something impossible, but he has called us then when it's hard to just rest in him even more, to trust in him even more, to be under that yoke with him together. And so being on mission and growing in our faith are the same thing. Uh, not one, not two separate things. And so um, the the response uh, invitation requires an awful lot of obedience, which can mean dying to our own comfort and our own preferences. And the beautiful thing for me here was that, um, you know, when we rest and we receive something from that rest and we respond to what we receive, sometimes it has pleasant or happy or expected outcome. Sometimes it's obviously successful in the way that we would hoped, would have hoped. And that just helps us understand why God prompted us in that way. And it sends us back to rest in him. It sends us back to worship him and to trust him. But what's really helpful for us to remember is that sometimes, even though we are receiving a prompt from the Lord and we are responding to that prompt, sometimes it doesn't go the way we hoped. Sometimes it doesn't look like wonderful, successful outcomes. And as a Protestant, I don't think I'd really wrestled that much with the suffering of Jesus. This was the time when it was really helpful for me to be in, Christ in Catholic contexts and to see how they find solidarity in Jesus on the cross. We don't have Jesus on the cross in my Protestant context, but he in, in Catholic contexts is on the cross everywhere. Yes. And... Um, and when we are living a kind of comfortable life, that can be really uncomfortable to be presented with his suffering. But when we're in suffering, and I, it helped me understand uh, the place of, of Christians around the world who, are, who, who aren't as privileged as I am, who live in poverty or persecution. It helped me just get maybe a little glimpse of why they love to talk about Jesus on the cross because they find solidarity 
in their suffering and they they know that they are not alone and that the suffering does not mean god has forsaken us mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a beautiful thing to remember that sometimes our obedience leads to fruit that we can measure and wonderful outcomes and sometimes our obedience leads us to places that feel like death and we are not alone in that because that's literally what happened to jesus you know that his pursuit of the kingdom and his obedience to the father led him to the cross mm -hmm. but for the joy set before him he was willing to pursue that Amen. and so for us to press into the kingdom and for us to bring the kingdom is not always going to be well received yes. and uh, there are going to be places where this childlikeness leads us into places of of suffering and pain and i i unpack the various ways that jesus died because if we only see the physical death that he died then we might not realize how much his death means for us every day because he also died uh, uh, spiritual, emo sorry, he also died emotional and social and relational and existential deaths. You know, he died to his desire to be understood and received. He died to uh, so many relationships. He, he died in, uh, in ways that brought up really social discomfort and emotional discomfort and existential discomfort you know there was a kind of death in gethsemane before he ever got to the cross as he's just emptying of his control and that really blesses me to remember that that we are in our obedience we are being called to die in many many ways that don't always include physical death some sadly some people's obedience brings them to physical death but there are many other deaths that are that are in many ways almost or just as painful you know um there's a reason why people often say that they'd rather um die than be in public speaking situations you know there's there's social relational elements there that are that also are about part of how we live and how we define ourselves and identify as creatures that's not just physical beings um and physical death and so um when we when we respond it does take a lot of courage yes. to be childlike and um sorry to be adult-like and to set aside childishness to set aside our passivity and um and that's really helpful for me because sometimes um it's easy to think well if i just don't do anything then i can't sin but but there are sins of omission too sins of not obeying sins of being quiet when we're supposed to speak up and it's really risky we might get it wrong uh, but we are called to respond um, out of the rest. I, I like just the concept of uh, respond, receive, sorry, rest, receive, and respond. And as you were sharing about respond, uh, a picture of um, David came into my, my, you know, into my mind. Uh, the Bible says that he danced like never mm. before. He, he went into... Uh, this childlike. I have uh, a three-year-old. Uh, mm. You know, number number four. My, my number four son is a three-year-old. He doesn't care how he dance. He goes. He does dance, and we're laughing louder. But he responds <laughs> to the tune or the soundtrack of the music unashamedly. He's not scared who's, who is there. And <laughs> as you are sharing about responding. Uh, David, the David came into the picture. I love that. 
Mm-hmm. And the Bible says uh, he, resp- he danced like never before. Obviously, they were thinking, this guy is crazy. Why is he dancing like that? But he, mm-hmm. he, he put on that theology of uh, child likeness that you talk mm-hmm. about. I, I love, love that. that. Now, yes. as we begin to wind up this program here, uh, can you just give us a quick summary of uh, rest, receive, respond? Because most of us operate the other way around. We respond, then we try to receive, then we try to rest, and we never find rest. So mm. can you just give us a summary of that? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I think some of the hardest work is, is in resting in a culture that is so productive and so driven. And uh, it, I, I don't want to disregard or just be flippant about the real wrestling that happens when we're invited into rest and, um, and the real ways that people around us might think we're lazy or, or useless or, you know, our boss might, <laughs> might have a problem with us or something. So I want to acknowledge that Yes, there are things we have to do. What do we do, though, with the time that is ours to decide? So just begin with that time. Uh, and sometimes we're just so much in the habit of, of always going, of just respond, 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 that even when we do have a time to stop, then uh, we don't do that. But I would like to invite your, your viewers to uh, begin by being willing to be interrupted. So there are moments, and this is one thing we were good at. This is, this is what's helpful to remember. We were good at this when we were kids. It's not a totally new thing. Uh, we just have to uh, remember these old habits. But to be willing to be interrupted means, you know, if you're working and a bird lands on your windowsill and taps on the window and looks right at you, will you stop and just be in that moment and enjoy God's creation for just a minute? It doesn't have to take half an hour or all day. Uh, it, when there's, when there's a, a, a feeling bubbling up in you or an instinct in you or something you experience with your senses, are you willing to just be interrupted as you were as a child? You know, we drove our, kid, our parents crazy when we couldn't walk in a straight line on the way to school because we had to stop for every caterpillar. What does it look like to just listen to those things that are calling out to us in creation, in other people, in our own bodies, and just pay attention for just a moment to be interrupted from our own productivity for a moment and trust that it may not solve all the world's problems, but it will make life more livable and it will make God more present because I believe he is bombarding us constantly with with messages about him. And they don't all come in words. They don't all make sense. Sometimes they come in emotions. Sometimes they come in colors and sounds and beauty and multisensory experiences. Are we willing to be open to that? We feel like God isn't speaking to us because we're only willing to receive him with with our minds and with words. And meanwhile, we've switched off all these other receptors in us that that I would invite people to to open up again, to to receive the ways that God is is constantly engaging with us. And uh, and and so there's there's a little invitation into the resting and I I can tell you from what I've seen in my own life and, and from ways I've walked through this with others that there will be something for you in it. It may not be what you were wanting, but, uh, but God, God might just be reminding you he's with you. He loves you and uh, he's made a beautiful world for us to engage. So that's a, that's a place to begin with the rest, receive, respond. 
If you're just joining us here on Unstoppable Faith, uh, we're almost coming to an end of uh, this program. I have uh, the privilege and an honor of hosting uh, Mandy Smith. She's a pastor uh, uh, right now in Australia, coming to us live from Australia. Uh, she has written this uh, powerful book and uh, fated. I want you to get this book. Uh, it talks about uh, imagining a childlike faith beyond the baggage of Western culture. You know, most of the times I travel extensively, uh, I hear from a lot of people, most of us in the church today, and I'm saying this, uh, 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 are bent out. Uh, it's like somebody has to drag us to just go to church anymore. We have lost that, uh, you know, passion or desire to even worship God because of the excess baggage that we put on. And uh, Mandy, she helps us. To, you know, touch on that topic. She talks about rest, the importance of rest. She talks about receiving as well as uh, responding, not the other way around where we respond and then we try to receive and then we try to rest. And she shared on that to say, even when we have an opportunity to rest, we can't even rest. Oh my goodness. This has been powerful. Now, as we wind up this program, uh, 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 Mandy, I want to ask you this personal question. Could you tell us a moment of unstoppable faith in your life? Mm. Well, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is a moment when I was stepping into the lead pastor role at my church. I had been associate pastor. I'd never seen anybody like me stepping into a lead pastor role before. And um, that was partly because I'm a woman and I'm not in a movement that in the past has affirmed women in leadership, but it was also um, just my personality. I'm an introvert and I'm an artist. And uh, at the time I was living in America, so I felt very foreign as well. And so uh, that was a real crisis for me after years of preparing and praying and feeling called to ministry to suddenly be presented with the possibility that I couldn't do it. I went to a conference, a Christian conference, and nobody there really looked like me or thought like me or sounded like me. And um, and it was a real kind of co collision. Um, it was it was a, a moment. I just stepped out of that that conference for about twenty four hours. Went to my hotel room and told the Lord, "You've made a mistake. If that's what Christian leadership looks like, they're wonderful people, but none of them look like me. Um, if that's what Christian leadership looks like, you've made a mistake. I've got nothing." And uh, and I I think I threw up several times in that hotel room. I didn't eat, and I just cried on the bed for about twenty four hours. It was a, it was a crisis moment, not just for my calling, but for my faith. And uh, the Lord kept saying to me, in your weakness, I am strong. In your weakness, I am strong. Which at the time felt like a platitude because I had thought that means in your weakness, I'll make you feel strong. <laughs> and that wasn't happening. I was feeling very weak. Um, but I chose to trust that that might be possible. So the, the moment of faith there was was not even fully understanding what that meant, but but stepping back into my, my new role as a lead pastor, trusting that, that there was something to that that I didn't yet understand, that I was not going to stop feeling weak and yet God was somehow going to be powerful in all the ways I felt inadequate. And, um, and so I came to love that passage of, of in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, in our weakness he is strong. And... Uh, it's a beautiful possibility that God invites all of us as, as ordinary humans 
to um, to be ordinary, to be limited, and yet uh, God sees us as glorious. God, He became ordinary like us, mm-hmm. uh, so that we, He could show us that we are glorious like Him. And I'm coming to believe that from experience, from trusting, and from watching how He has shown His power even in my weakness over and over again. Every time I do that, it, it requires a kind of unstoppable faith too. And um, that story is actually um, one I tell in my previous book, which is called The Vulnerable Pastor. If you're interested in exploring that or if maybe you're having that kind of um, anxiety as well about being called into leadership in some way, it's a really great way to explore um, that moment of unstoppable faith too. But that that probably was a really life-defining moment for me. Wow. Uh, next time, I, I know I, I looked at uh, your book, uh, The Vulnerable Pastor. Uh, probably, you know, we'll work out um, uh, a schedule here where you can come and uh, share on that. It's a powerful, powerful book. Mm, I'd love that. So we're going to do that. So now here, before we go, um, where can the people go to connect with you as well as uh, go to buy this copy of the book? Yes, yes, I'd love that. So the book is available anywhere you buy books. Um, I try to promote my favorite independent Christian bookstore, which is called Hearts and Minds Books um, in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania somewhere. And um, then you know other bookstores that you usually use are carrying it as well. And all of those links are available on my website. My website is called thewayistheway.org. Um, because the way we do things is uh, a part of how of what we're doing uh, and we should be doing kingdom things in kingdom ways. So thewaysetheway.org is a place to find my other writings and more information about me and links to uh, various places where, where Unfettered is being sold. And you can see it right on your screen there. Pastor Mandy Smith, thank you so very much for coming on Unstoppable Faith. Yeah, so it's been so great to have you, have me. Thank you. Until then, uh, God bless you. Shalom, shalom. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. If this program has been a blessing to you, write to us at life at kazumbacharles.com and share your testimony.